Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine, when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where Fine is a Four-Letter Word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Are you someone who uses self-deprecation to get laughs? Steve Gamlin was too, until a pivotal moment when his friend Chris figuratively put on a pair of steel toe boots and kicked his ass and woke him up to the dangerous effects of doing that. Steve was raised to believe in the value of hard work. When Steve was seven, his dad bought their house and started remodeling it one room at a time. All the Gamlin kids pitched in, helping with the remodeling, yard work, and before Steve was 10 years old, he was clearing brush and chopping firewood. Additionally, Steve's mother instilled in him a love of reading and writing. When Steve was 11, he decided he wanted to be a radio DJ, a stand-up comedian, an author of books, and a teacher of people, but not in a classroom to inspire and coach people. When he was 24, he landed his first radio station job. His dad gave him sound advice. You got your foot in the door, now bust your ass so you don't get thrown back out the door. For over a decade, Steve worked in radio 50 to 60 hours a week, going through several jobs as radio stations were bought out and the new management fired the old crew. After 10 years of this stress, he walked away emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. When his marriage ended shortly after that because of poor communication since he was never home, he found himself $62,000 in debt. A short time later, a mentor helped him triple the revenue from his weekend event DJ business in just two years. But he was still beating himself up for the decisions he'd made in those previous 10 years. As I mentioned a moment ago, he started speaking on stages and was incorporating a lot of self-deprecating humor. After that conversation with Chris, he started learning how to continue using humor, but not at the expense of his self-esteem. Along the way, he created Vision Board Mastery, a unique approach to vision boarding you've likely not heard before. This one consists of 10 steps, but doesn't involve selecting the photos of your lifestyle for the board until step 7. There's a reason for that. Oh, and you'll also hear how a random email led Steve to find the love of his life. Are you ready to hear more? If, like Steve, you find yourself stuck in burnout, exhausted in every possible way, and struggling to create a vision for your dream life, Five Easy Ways to Start Living the Sabbatical Life Guide is for you. Once you read it, you'll discover a counterintuitive approach to making intentional changes in mindset and lifestyle. Learn how to own your feelings and your struggles so you can address them. And find out how to face fears, step out of your comfort zone, and rewire your beliefs. It's only seven pages, so it won't take you very long to get through. The five tactics are simple, but you could find yourself seeing a bit of Steve's point 
about how the vision you think you have isn't possible until you've put in the work. When you're ready to say fuck being fine, this guide is the place to start. It's time to blaze your own trail and allow your curiosity to take you on a new quest. Go to zenrabbit.com right now to download it for free. Now, let's go meet Steve. Looks like he's going to have us help him stack some firewood. Well, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Steve Gamlin. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey there, Lori. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Right before we hit record, we were trying to remember how we were originally connected because it's been a few years. I was a guest on your podcast and we've had so many conversations and, you know, and as I was, we couldn't figure it out. We're like, I don't know, like, like lots of things. We just get connected to people and I don't remember how, but it might've been Keith, um, Keith Reynolds. Could have been, could have been. I I blame my lack of memory on a uh, black mold infestation in our attic uh, in 2023 that had been there for apparently two years and uh, a, a former now retired energy drink addiction. So I've never done drugs in my life, but I think between those two things, I fried a couple of chips. So, wow. Yeah. We, how uh, did you discover that? I mean, how we, did you discover the mold and that? Yeah, we, we had a rainstorm where the rain was blowing sideways and it went in through one of the attic vents and we got a little bit of water stain in the inside of our second floor bathroom ceiling. And my wife said, maybe you should go upstairs and look. And I moved the plywood to get up there and went, oh no. Maybe I, I mean, won't the plywood be was black. Ugh. And it oh, was, man. it turned out there was a hose disconnected from a vent that was the air conditioning and the central heat right above the vent in my office. So I was basically breathing that stuff for about two oh, years. Oh my gosh. And, wow. uh, Brain fog, memory lapses, uh, extreme fatigue and exhaustion, lack, inability to focus, lack of focus, and even days where I just stare catatonic at the screen, trying to come up with a word and couldn't figure it out. What did you think was happening? I had no idea. I honestly had no idea. Other than, you know, we had the pandemic, what are now referred to as three deaths in the pandemic. My dad died. One of my business mentors died. Our little dog died. Both my businesses got destroyed in the pandemic at first. Yeah. And um, just the depression from all of that. And I just figured, well, just going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't even realize that um, they should rechange five-hour energy labeling, by the way, because by the end of my 16-year addiction, I would have called it nine-hour lethargy. It was actually working <laughs> against me. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So here well, we are. <laughs> and, and so I'm glad you got that cleared up and you're back to like your normal self. Yeah. Feeling good. Feeling focused. Lots of energy. Oh my gosh. Stop drinking energy drinks and find your natural energy again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a friend and past guest who would refer to it as getting high on your own supply. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And surrounded myself with the right people. I'm doing a cellular detox now. My blood work numbers in the fall were abysmal. My liver couldn't even process all the toxins that were already in my body and I was putting in more every single day. Mm. Wow. So my liver is uh, very happy now. I bet it is. Uh, yeah. And your wife is probably happy too because she, now that you're healthier, she, you, maybe you'll be around longer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you're dying a, a little bit every day. So it's a big part right. of why I work out. So when we're in our seventies, we're not going to doctor visits. We're walking, holding hands on a beach instead. So that's, that's my right. big why. And I want to get to your relationship in a, in a few minutes. Cause yeah. you have, cause I love how it came about and how special it is. 
But first, I want to ask you, what were the values and beliefs that you were raised with that contributed to you becoming who you've become? Big ones. We we grew up, it was myself and my sister and our mom and dad. And mom and dad were married until I was in my early 20s. So we had a really good, solid home life mm-hmm. uh, for, for a couple of very formative decades. Definitely respecting your elders, working hard. That was a big thing. We had chores. We worked with the family side by side in the yard with dad doing carpentry projects. Shortly after we bought our first house in 1976, 75, 76, we started remodeling one room at a time. And I was dad's helper, even at the age of, you know, eight years old mm-hmm. and working, mowing the lawn and all that. And if we said we we're going to do something, we needed to do it. If we committed to something, we needed to stay with it. And yeah, those were some word. of the greatest lessons that mm-hmm. I think any anyone could have learned. I mean, we were out in the woods dropping trees and dragging brush and stacking firewood and splitting firewood and all of that when we were in single digit years. Mm-hmm. It, and yeah. it was just the most amazing childhood. It, it set me up for some really good core values that I still maintain today. Do you still believe that you have to work hard to be successful? Yes. Yep. It doesn't all have to be physically grueling, but you need to be focused and you need to make sure your actions take you in the right direction and in a world of distraction these days. And, and I'm undiagnosed, but I, you know, the letters A, D, H, and D are on my Scrabble tile uh-huh. <laughs> every day. <laughs> um, staying focused in a very distractible world now is more challenging than it used to be, but I still got to get my work done if I want to yeah. build it up. And, you know, even broken bricks can make a good foundation. So they don't all have to be perfect. Right. However, what you just said is different than having to work hard to be successful. You, you, you do need to be focused. You do need to take inspired action. Do you need to work hard? As far as like the physically hard thing? Like the 24-7 hustle. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. That's, uh, yeah, the, the grind and hustle mindset. Oh, no, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, I tried that. And, and we'll be talking about that at some point during the show today. Yes. Uh, I tried that yes. approach. Uh-huh. It, it's kind of like a machine that you run for a long time and you don't maintain it. And all of a sudden somebody goes, what's that knocking noise? And where the hell is that smoke coming from? Mm-hmm. That was my life at one yeah, point. Yeah, well, let's get into it right now. Yeah. Since, I mean, because that led, so those, those that work ethic mm-hmm. that may have led into what you experienced as a young adult, the yeah. beginning, early parts of your career, yeah. you were into working all the time in 24-7 hustle. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, I followed my dream. When I was 11, I wanted to be a radio DJ, a stand-up comedian, an author of my own books, and a teacher of people, but not in a classroom. So mm-hmm. I wanted to inspire people or coach people or do whatever. And when I was 24, I got my first radio job. And my dad said, he goes, you got your foot in the door, now bust your ass so you don't get thrown back out the door. And I did. I worked 50, 60 hours a week for a decade. And if that wasn't enough, because radio didn't pay Jack at the time, I was making I, I poverty remember. level wages. Yeah. I started a weekend DJ business, DJing weddings. So I essentially worked six or seven days a week for 10 years, did about 15 years worth of hours in 10. And by the end of it, I was so fried mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, everything. Yeah. I was exhausted. My first marriage was starting to crumble due to lack of communication because I was always working. And I'm not a confrontational person. You probably didn't even see each other. 
Um, no, not a lot. Actually, the the final four years of my radio career, I was sleeping away from home two nights a week because the radio station was so far from home, and I was exhausted. I would have I would have crashed a tree falling asleep driving because I used to do that now and then anyway. Do us off while I was driving. So it's just by the oh, uh, wow. the miracle of a couple guardian angels who've kept yeah. my ass on the road many yeah, times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so the first marriage fell apart. You're working all these hours. What did and then but then you came to the realization like I the, I can't. This isn't sustainable. Yeah. Actually, the that part came first. Where at the end of my ten years, I just I walked away. I was on my last nerve. I was just fried. And without a full-time job, other than a part-time DJ business, it was maybe making eleven five a year at the time. Mm-hmm. I quit. So you just went in and said, I, I quit this job. I'm out. Yep. Gave and my notice did, and just said, I'm out of here. And Did and, you still love radio? You just couldn't do the hours? Or were you like, I'm done with radio? The industry of radio is a very, very nasty one. Um after my first two years, which I loved and I was a workaholic, that radio station got sold. We all got fired. And my second radio job lasted three years. That station got sold. We all got fired. Mm-hmm. I never filed for unemployment benefits. I was too embarrassed and my pride and my ego and all that. I sat in a dark room hoping for another job to come along and just doing searches. Interesting. And the fourth group I was at for four years, somebody came up to me one day and said, hey, Steve, did you hear Scott? The owner's going through a divorce. He might have to sell the station. And something just snapped. I can't do this again. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to... I was one of the most award-winning comedy writers we had. I was a very successful, great career. And I could not just get flushed down the toilet again. And a little voice in my head just said, get the hell out of here. Loved what I did. Grew to hate the industry because it was so yeah. ruthless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so many people have, so many people from the industry have similar stories. Yeah. And yeah, it's, you know, and you know, I had spent a little bit of time, but yeah. very part time in there, but I still, it was a love yeah. and it's hard to see what it has become. Yeah. But yeah. Now, people ask me now if I'd go back and no, I, I have, I have my own podcast. I'm good. I have a show on a station in England and I do it from here. Yeah, I was I'm just going to say, now we have the, the luxury of making our own station. Yeah. Yeah. So I took Running what I love most show. about it, and yeah. I get to do that still. So yeah. that part's yeah. good. Yeah. So, so you were running this part-time business. Uh, what, what were you, what did you, like, how did you reestablish yourself? Or like, I don't even mean reestablish in terms of what you were doing in business, but like, how did you get your sanity back? <laughs> that took about four or five years to get my sanity back. It actually took about a decade for me to be stopped, uh, stop punishing myself for all those decisions. Because right after I quit radio within a year or so, my marriage ended. And at age 35, I realized I was about $62,000 in debt because I was not paying attention to where the money was. I was making minimum payments. Mm-hmm. I'd taken out a $30,000 business line of credit to build a recording studio in my dad's basement, which we did. And I burned through all of that money. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got divorced, lived at dad's, and a great friend of mine, or actually a radio mentor, introduced me to his DJ agent, and that gentleman tripled my business in less than two years. Doing what? Doing voiceover? Nope. The DJ business. Oh, 
Okay. The weekend DJ business went from making uh, eleven five to within a couple of years, I was making thirty forty thousand dollars a year. Oh, cool! Okay. Just on the weekends, and it took me a long time to figure out what to do during the week. Tried a couple of things that I just was not passionate about, so therefore I didn't do them well, and I just I just hated myself every day for what the situation I'd put myself in. And it took me 10 years of being really self-deprecating to get the point that that was not a good attitude to have speaking to and about myself that way. What was the thing that triggered you to say, hey, wait, 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 this is not working? It was a buddy of mine named Chris Whitehead. And uh, he and I had just met at the time. This is around two, early 2011. And he invited me to speak at one of his personal development events, just a small event. But he said, Dude, it's three day event. I'll I'll put you up on stage all three days. I love your stuff. In the third day, I was in a bad mood. I was tired. I was whatever, running out of material. Uh-huh. And I said something and I said something self deprecating and got a laugh. So I just stayed for about 15, 20 minutes, just ripping the crap out of myself on stage about what an idiot I was in my own life. And I painted the before picture, but I didn't bring in the recovery mm-hmm. because at the time there wasn't one. Right. And about five minutes after everybody left the room, he put a chair in a circle around it, sat me in the chair and they staged an intervention and beat that crap out of me over me talking about myself that way. He goes, bro, I've been watching you do this for a while now. If I ever hear you talk to or about yourself like that again, first off, we're no longer brothers. Second, you are never welcome on one of my stages again. Dude, cut the crap. You just destroyed all credibility built up. Wow. And now I refer to it as the day that my buddy Chris put on a pair of steel toe boots and kicked me so hard in part of my body. My doctor only gets to see once a year <laughs> and, he, and, and it set me straight. And yeah. And thank God for friends like that. Right. Yeah. Like it's not easy to find friends because mo- like that, because most people wouldn't say that because they're afraid of ruining the friendship versus no. saving the friend. No. Yeah. Oh, he knew the risk, but uh, we're still bros today. You know, yeah. we're. And I'm we sure still talk about risk. that. I'm just saying most yeah. people will take that risk. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm wow. so thankful for that day. And then despite a few people had tried to tell me, you know, tone it down a little. You're I had three speeches in a row back in my Toastmasters days with the word idiot in the title. Talking about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, one was the idiot and his odyssey. It was a play on, you know, Homer's right. work. And uh one guy came up after the meeting, he said, do you honestly believe this stuff you're saying? He goes, because you're really wrecking yourself up there. And I just looked at him and said, yeah. And he mm. said, that's not good. It didn't go any farther than that. But right, right. that was a few years before Chris uh, yeah. swung the steel toe boot. And I finally got the lesson. And now I get to coach other people on that. When I see them that way, I get to yeah. return the favor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, there are so many more people who don't say those things out loud. They only say them internally. So you don't even know that they're running that tape. I mean, you can kind of guess because you can see the out results they're getting in their life. However, you don't necessarily get like you are saying it. Most people don't say it out loud. Yeah. And the danger of that was I could say it and get laughs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a stand up comedian from 2004 to 2011. I also started speaking in 2004. So to me, it wasn't a bad thing. You know, I couldn't see that I was kicking out the the chair underneath myself all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was, you know, blessing and a curse. I got laughs doing it. So I assumed it was okay. Right. And isn't that the case with like 
the class clown, which was definitely not me because I didn't speak up at all in class, but <laughs> the class clown or, or a lot of comedians are, are that way because they're trying to cover up some pain. Yeah, there's a lot of pain in the comedy world. I, I wish more people would understand that when they say that person was so funny. See, I see it different because I've been on the other side of the curtain. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, that person. I, I heard a lot of warning signs in that 15 minutes on stage. And there's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of mental illness in the yeah. entertainment world. And unfortunately, people just keep clapping at the dancing monkeys not realizing how sad and, and tortured a lot of them are. Right, right. Uh, you know, Robin Williams, of course, comes to yeah. mind when you, when you talk about that. Yeah. What was it? So after Chris kicked your ass, mm -hmm. what what did you do? Like you didn't just walk away and go, okay, I'm, I'm changed. I'm not going to talk about myself like that anymore. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I call it the Hollywood effect. I said, because people have said that, that's great. You, you rose up out of the ashes. I'm like, yeah, hang on. You know, one of my signature stories is called Some Days Your Phoenix Rides a Pogo Stick. <laughs> you, you go up and down and you burn your tail feathers off again and you learn something. And when they grow back, they're brighter and stronger and you fly higher. It was what it did do was plant the seed that when my brain went to default to something funny but self-deprecating, I would catch myself before it fell out of my mouth and say, that's kind of funny, but you know what? That's not going to serve me now. And it's not like it just went like that. You know, the yeah. reason I call it the Hollywood effect, it's not that the clouds parted and the angels went, ah, and all of a sudden everything was rosy. Right. But I started to catch myself. And then I started to catch myself more quickly. And sometimes, you know, the brain would go back to the old patterns and I would sit there for a second and go, oh my gosh, that's freaking hysterical, but I can't say it like that. And I would actually start to craft it in a way that I could still use it. I would say, you know, in the old days when I was really self-replicating, I would have said this. And I'd still say it and I go, but I don't talk about myself like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And it became part of the lesson because I was a work in progress. And I, I try to be as, as open, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable as possible at all times. So I would just acknowledge, look, I'm working through this. I used to be this way. Maybe you can identify with this, but here's what I do now. I build myself up. I don't tear myself down anymore. So yeah. it actually became part of the journey and part of my branding, just authenticity. Yeah. But authenticity in a way that really is. Like lots yes. of people say, authenticity is my brand. You need to be authentic. But yeah. you were putting it out there yeah. that people could clearly see, okay, he's not perfect. Yeah. And I mean, nobody is, right. but that you weren't even pretending to have it all together. Oh, no, not at all. Which you know? which makes people like you even more because now yeah. you're relatable. Yeah. Just being real. I mean, we know people, gosh, I've been in the, per, you know, I've been on a personal development journey for about 35 years now as a speaker and a coach for 20. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there who would love for the world to think that their lives are perfect. And they put it out on social media, but every once in a while you get a real glimpse or you hear an actually true story, not just mm -hmm. the rumors that people make up, but you do hear something and it's like, you know, you'd be a lot more believable and attractive in a magnetic way. Yeah. If you stopped posing with your damn Lamborghini and actually let people in on the fact that your marriage is crumbling and you're 40 pounds overweight and you're depressed and all this and that, I would rather see that person who's making a good solid effort every single day. Right. Versus the whole airbrushed social media fakeness that's yeah. so pervasive. And I, I saw something yesterday. I saw an alert pop up on my phone that said, 
all the gurus are getting skewered on TikTok right now. So I don't know if there was a TikTok challenge called Take Down the Gurus, but people were mocking all of the big success gurus yesterday. So I've got to go dig and find these videos. I'll probably laugh um, my butt off. Yeah, I want to see them. I'm not on TikTok, but I can see, you know, I can see them, but I haven't. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see those too. They're just, <laughs> Share them. They're just regular them everyday somewhere. people. And sometimes right. they, they buy into their own hype a little too much. And... <laughs> That's where they lose me. You know, some yeah. I some I refuse to listen to or watch anymore, who were huge in my early development, but I just watched them cross over into being deified by right. their followers and appearing to believe it. And that's where yeah. you lose me. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did your um your love story come into the to the picture? Cause this the, is such a cool story. I want yeah. I want my listeners to hear it. Got divorced in 2003, it became official. And I said, you know, I, I really only want to fall in love one more time in my life. So I want to have the dream ultimate relationship. And I looked at who I was at the time and how I behaved. Now, I wasn't abusive. There was no issues of that or cheating, never. But I was a person, whenever there was conflict, I would just shut down and mm -hmm. shut down and shut down and not address small problems until they became larger problems. So I said, I'm going to spend a couple of years really working on myself. I read books. I journaled a lot and I just got it out there who I wanted to be. I learned about visualization mm -hmm. and, and really dove into that head first in my own way and started to build what would that dream relationship look like, feel like, sound like, taste like, smell like, be like, and who did I, who did I have to become to be that person? And by the time January of 2007 rolled around, I made that year's vision board. And I had pictures of the type of relationship I wanted to have, a couple walking hand in hand on the beach, sitting at the railing of a ship at sunset, laughing together, cooking dinner in the kitchen, guy piggybacking his girlfriend through a brook so she wouldn't get all wet and they're laughing. I said, this is what I want. And I said, this is going to be the year I find her, whoever she is. And in the first week of June, I wrote in my journal, I'm ready to fall in love. And on June 16th, 2007, there was an email from someone named Tina that I almost deleted as spam. And of course, my squirrel brain got distracted. And I looked at it again the next day and I opened it and realized it was a girl I'd gone to high school with that I hadn't seen or spoken to in 21 years. And I said, oh my gosh. And so I emailed back and she emailed back her phone number. I waited about three days to call. Because you got to stay cool. Because you got to stay cool and distracted. <laughs> And she didn't have any social media footprint, so I could do no reconnaissance. There was oh, not even geez. a picture of her to be had anywhere. Oh, I don't like that. I so, want to know. <laughs> yeah. I called her number, and she answered. The first words I heard from her in 21 years in her typical, nice, amazingly, like, cool-voiced sarcasm was, it's about time you called. <laughs> and I just started laughing on the phone. I'm like, how are you? She goes, I'm good. She was living in Florida at the time. And over the course of the next four weeks, just by phone, uh, text, and email, I started to have feelings for her again because I had a crush on her in high school for three years and never had the guts to ask her out. Okay. I was going to ask that part. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I, I had a crush on her and I thought there's no way she would say yes. And she has since told me that I did ask her to the prom. And I said, and what'd you say? She goes, I said, no. And I said, see? And she goes, mm -hmm. ask me why I said no. So I asked and she goes, because you said, would you like to go to the prom to me? And instantly said, just as friends. And she said, that's why I said no. She goes, because I had a crush on you back then. And I still have feelings for you. And I love you. 
She told me that from a thousand miles away in a text. Wow. Four weeks after that initial email. And this June is our 17th anniversary. We've been together ever since. Wow. Okay. I want to get the chronology of things just in my head because you might have said it, but I don't know if I missed it. What year was it that Chris kicked your ass? 2012. Oh, so it was I was after. still in the midst of okay. self-deprecating uh, at this point. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Hadn't done enough damage yet. All right. But you were able to attract your Tina into your life even yeah. with that. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's definitely a bond. Yeah. And then, you know, she, a few months later, like she flew up here. Her grandmother was having surgery the next month. So I saw her for the first time in 21 years and just fell in love with her again. Mm -hmm. And a couple trips later, back and forth, she said, I really want to move back to New England, but I don't want to lose my job or leave my job. And about a month later, she sent me an email. She goes, I think this is that law of attraction thing. The company just offered to move me back to New England, pay for the move, put me up in a hotel for a month so I can find an apartment and created a job for me in Burlington, Vermont, which is only two hours and 20 minutes from my house. And she goes, is this that law of attraction thing? And I go, babe, this is exactly the law of attraction. This is exactly what I teach and what I talk about. And those things kept stacking up and they eventually moved her back to New Hampshire so we could live together. And gave her a fully work from home thing with occasional travel. Wow. Yeah. And here we are. That's an amazing story. How did you get into teaching the visualization and the, the vision board stuff? It was weird because I first heard about visualization through about a 90 second snippet of The Secret where some guy named John Asaraf talked about uh -huh. vision boards. Yep. I didn't read and anyone's book. I didn't buy anybody's program. I just learned on my own, trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, trial and ooh, a little success. And it kind of took my own approach towards all of it. And thank God I took a lot of notes. Like I journaled like a madman in that decade. I still journal quite a bit. And then as people started to see the successes I was stacking up and these wins I was talking about and sharing on stages, hey, Steve, can, can you teach me how to do that too? Sure. You have a program? Sure, we're just not quite done putting it together yet. And I went through all my journals and I said, all right, what are the steps that I took? And I created a framework and it's called Vision Board Mastery and it still exists now. It's still my my primary program. Mm -hmm. I just walk people from exactly where they are right now once they figure it out to where they want to be and in such an order that the visualization framework is set up properly. It's It's not just slapping pictures on a board. Right. My program is 10 steps. You don't gather pictures till module seven in my program. Mm -hmm. Everything else is internal work. Right. Making sure that your goals are your goals. Not right. the vision board starter kit like the Lamborghini, the yacht, the mansion, the yeah. private jet, the helicopter, the big honking gold watch, and the bank vault full of gold bars. Yeah. That's a letter to Santa Claus right there. Right. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. It's that yes. stuff. Yeah. You know, there's more to life than that. I right. teach eight areas of life and people go, ooh, that many. Okay. <laughs> and they're either in for the work or they're not. Yeah, that's okay. And it's not even work. Like to me, it's kind of fun. You're like uncovering the layers of an onion of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Who, who you are, where you want to go. And the most important thing for me anyway, it's not just what you get, it's who you become. Right. So 
doing what I did in the early 2000s, what's the best version of you in all those areas of life? And I talk physical health, emotional well-being, your relationships, your core values, your faith, your connection, your career, and your money. Right. They're all happening 24-7. So wouldn't it be a good idea to actually have some say in where your life is headed? Yes. And the, and you, we've talked about this before too, the feeling behind it. It's not just, this is what I want, but how will you feel when you are that person or when you have that thing? And I, when I say thing, I don't necessarily mean physical like um, thing, yeah. but when you have what you want, how will you feel? Hmm. Oh, yeah. And and I came up with a hashtag that I love. It's on all of my vision boards. It's in my I am statement and audio that I listen to often, which is kind of a, a an audio walkthrough of my ultimate dream life as though it's already happened. You know, uh -huh. I enjoy this. I am this. I have this. I've become this. Yeah. And uh, my favorite two words, charismatic confidence. Because those are two <sighs> things I did not have in my life. I, I was not charismatic in, in high school. I shut down. I was not confident. Had no game at all. Well, who with has the ladies confidence in high school? Really? Well, a lot of people claim they did, or they put up enough of a fake wall mm -hmm. that they did. And me being transparent, I just looked around and go, mm, "Okay, <laughs> you know, here I am sitting <laughs> in the corner." Right. You know, I hung with some Wait. pretty smart and cool people, but I was I was fringe at best and was not confident. Uh, really, until almost age forty. Which makes it even funnier to me that your story comes from, like that your your wife is from high school. Yeah. Yeah. And people say, high school sweethearts? They go, oh, no, I didn't have the guts to ask her out. No. Right. It was, it was about a three-year crush. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I love that charismatic confidence. Yeah. That, that fell out one day. And as soon as I said it, and I've got a little mirror here in the recording studio over by my setup. I looked in the mirror and went, Oh, that's badass. I'm like, I've got to use that. That if it even now it feels so good when I say it, I can't mm -hmm. help but smile and and I feel it. It's not just, oh, that would be cool. It was that was cool. Yeah. What I just felt when I said that. And and I just take that on stage, off stage, backstage, walking down the Captain Crunch aisle at the grocery store. Just be charismatically confident and it makes you attractive and it makes other people so comfortable. Yes. Around you and, and non-threatening and just leaving plus signs trailing behind you everywhere you go. And you'll never run out because I own the damn factory. Mm -hmm. That's what I love the most about it. Right. Right. That's uh, Brenda Burchard talks about energy and he talks about the energy plant doesn't have energy. It generates energy. Isn't that something like that? Yeah. Like I love don't... Brandon. I, I yeah, got to so meet him. I. I was very blessed a number of years ago to have a, a quick conversation with him after he got off stage. And uh, it's it one of the highlights of my speaking career was getting to just have a conversation with him. And he is he is what he is on stage, off stage. I've heard that. And that's yeah. so refreshing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But yeah, so that we don't, we, you're not looking to other places for energy. Like you were, you were talking at the beginning of our conversation about the energy drinks not giving you energy. Yeah. It, yeah, because you have to generate it yourself. It comes from within. Yeah. And all the things that you've been talking about are what helps everybody, each of us, to generate their own energy, whether it's journaling, whether it's meditation, like visualization, looking inside for who would I like to be? And then 
you know, you always talk about the how is not our domain, but what steps can I take? What inspired steps can I take to get there? And when you have that charismatic confidence, you become magnetic and those right people in right circumstances start showing up. Yeah. yeah. It goes back to something of... one of my English teachers said in high school. He would throw a kid out of class, but he would, you know, on the way out the door, he would tell the kid, look, you're not in trouble. Just go sit on the bench outside the office. He goes, just act like you belong there and nobody will mess with you. And, and that's still, I mean, I graduated in 86. That still resonates with me that no matter where I am, I just act like I own the place. If, yeah. if I was ever part of somebody else's business, I ran it as though it was mine. That's how I did my job. Mm-hmm. And that's how I do everything I do, whether it's speaking or coaching or just committing acts of kindness. I'm supposed to be right here, right now, doing this action, having this conversation. We're supposed to be talking right now. Yeah. We may not realize why, but something's going to come from this volleyball game that's going to impact somebody's life. And we'll find out about five or 10 years from now. Yeah. If we ever find out, because if, I also- if we ever. Right. Yeah. People are always watching, but they may not always yes. be raising their hand or telling you that they're watching, but yeah. you're still having an effect. And that's yeah. why it's even more important to do all the things that we just talked about in terms of being authentic and finding who you are and becoming who you are, Yeah, who you are supposed to be. I believe that what, that everything that happens, I know some people are like, everything happens for a reason. Don't say it. I hate that phrase. I don't need it, but other, I, I get it. Yeah. But to your point that you just made, there is, things are happening because they are, this is what is supposed to be happening at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's no, nothing and, is random. No. I mean, it no. seems like it. We say, we, as, we ascribe that word to things. Like it was a coincidence. It was a synchronicity. It was random, but it's yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. There are days where something will happen, you know, I'll, I'll trip up a little bit or something will go wrong and I'll look up and I go, Apparently, I needed a new stage story. Okay. Yeah. You know, right. And then I'll, exactly. then I'll craft it. You know, and right. People still ask me now, they go, hey, Steve, how do you make up those stories you share on stage? And I just stare right in the eye and I tilt my head. I call it the puppy head tilt. I tilt my head and go, really? <laughs> Have you not been paying attention to my life over the past 22 years of uh-huh. what's gone on? I, I don't have to make up anything. But I pay attention more than most people I know. To the little tiny things and moments. Yeah. I take a ton of pictures with my phone and I capture things and I'll write things down and to the Facebook posts or whatever. So many people don't realize I'm actually taking stock of my exact real life right now and what mm-hmm. it's inspiring me to think of in the lesson that can yeah. come from it. And they come yeah. from everywhere. They're around us at all times. You do an exceptional job of that. I see what you're po- what you post, and you do you do an exceptional job. I am not so good at it. I I pay attention to the things, but I am not great at journaling. Like I would like to be better, and I just don't give myself the or allow myself the time to do it. Uh, I just don't feel like like it's not even allowing myself. It's not like I really would like to do this. I don't really want to. <laughs> But yeah. I, I feel like I should, but I don't. And there you go. You know, we I always give my mom credit. She instilled such a love of reading and writing into my sister and I. And my sister's got the logical brain. She's a CPA. She's been in accounting forever. And I'm the creative one. And our family has a nonprofit. 
And yeah. for me, for almost 10 years, I was very happy with it just being what I called my hippie giving movement. But so mm -hmm. many people wanted to give us money and they said, see, if you got to be a 501c3. I looked at the paperwork for about four and a half seconds and said, there's no way in hell I'm, I can stay focused long enough. My sister grabbed it. And for three years now, we've been an official 501c3. Yeah. So yeah. we have different things we can read and understand and comprehend. And we have our skill sets. I'm the face of the nonprofit and she's the brains behind it. And our mom and stepmom are known as the Beach Bum Moms. It's called Beach Bum Philanthropy. They are rapidly becoming the two more famous faces <laughs> to the point where when I go somewhere, they go, who are you? I said, Steve, the beach bum. Do you know the beach bum moms? Oh my gosh, they're amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know them. Uh -huh. And they eat it up. They love it. And it's, they're both retired. Uh, my stepmom lost, we lost my dad a little over five years ago. <laughs> so the passion and purpose of them being a part of this in their lives is is giving them such a glow in their my mom's in her late seventies and my stepmom is eighty one. Uh -huh. So yeah. their purpose, they're not just fine anymore. They are they're on fire, rocking and rolling, planning out their next dessert trip to the homeless shelter. Right. Which the lesson there is you're never too old. Yeah. And I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. Oh to thank your you. organization. Before we go, what is, and this is such a great song to ask, or great, damn, I just ruined it. This is such a great question to ask you because of your background in DJing. But what's a song that you listen to when you need an extra boost of energy? What's your hype song? Oh, one of my first ones. And all I have to do is type the first letter in YouTube and it pops up. Happy <laughs> by the Rolling Stones. From 1972, Keith Richards, the guitar player, wrote it and actually sang on it. Uh -huh. Just part of why I love it because he can't sing great, but he sounds amazing. Well, it's and, his enthusiasm. Uh, it's oh, it's just the enthusiasm, and at the time, a lot of drugs. But the the energy of the song is great, and I mean, God, the song is just called "Happy." Yeah, I need a love to keep me happy, and it's just it doesn't just mean a person; it just means you need love, right, in your right. life to be happy. And it's funny as we're going through this conversation, I'm starting to think: when was the last time I answered? fine when somebody asked me how I was doing. I think it's been years. Yeah. Because I'll say things like happy. Mm -hmm. And then of course I gotta go play the song. Um rocking, on fire, having a ball, or just having fun is, yeah. is what I say to people, even if I'm stressed out. Steve, what what are you doing this week? Having fun. Yep. Coaching, speaking, creating, recording. Speaking it into truth. Yeah. Yeah. I just keep telling the universe, come on, bring it more because if something disruptive happens guess what i got a new story <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right as soon as i figure out the lesson i get to share it with everybody else and continue to be you know just a little farther up the mountain and mm -hmm. I, I never claim to be at the top of any mountain like some of the gurus do i'm just enough far enough ahead that i can yell back going hey watch out when you turn this corner here you're gonna fall on your ass in the mud go right. around the left side of the rock yeah that's that's awesome. That's where I'm at. Happy. I so appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you. If someone else who's listening wants to continue the conversation, where's the best place for them to find you? They can find me nice and easy at stevegamlin.com. And that's G-A-M-L-I-N. All right. We'll put a, a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you for joining me today on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you. 
where do we start with Steve Gamlin? As you just heard, he's already packed at least two full lifetimes in. And he's once again just getting started. His life story seems to have a lot of new starts in it. Here are some of my top takeaways. Number one, being in hustle mode with your business and projects is only possible for a sprint, not a marathon. You can grind hard, but ultimately, you'll be the one getting ground up. Steve drank so many five-hour energy drinks that they started working against him and he made him tired rather than energized. He now calls them nine-hour lethargy drinks for a reason. Number two, sometimes a clean break is the only way. Steve found out the radio industry is a ruthless business with revolving doors and a brutal work environment. After four job changes imposed on him when radio stations got bought out and new management fired the old staff, in just a few years, Steve decided to walk away, even though his DJ business, his side DJ business, was only making about $11,000 a year, and he was deep in debt. Number three, understand self-deprecation is a coping mechanism rooted in pain. It's not a way to get laughs. It comes from a place of insecurity or low self-esteem. Steve acknowledges the fine line between healthy self-deprecation and harmful self-criticism and how it's essential to recognize its limitations. Instead, strive for genuine self-improvement and growth. Number four, speaking of self-improvement, it's a continuous commitment. Finding resilience in the face of adversity is an ongoing process. You don't ever get to a place where you get to say, everything's good now, I can stand still and never need to adjust again. And number five, finally, once you're clear on your vision, walk into your life like you own the place. I'm not saying you should fake it till you make it. But as Steve said, I'm supposed to be right here, right now, doing this action, having this conversation. We're supposed to be talking right now. We may not realize why, but something's going to come from this volleyball game that's going on to impact somebody's life. And we'll find out about it five or 10 years from now. Always believe you're in the right place at the right time. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care.